0: Americans are divided, deceived, and more confused than ever. And it's the corporate media's fault. Yeah, let's talk about that. Instead of focusing on winning arguments, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and marketing and how we can use them to win in the world of politics, teaching you how to meet people where they're at on the issues they care about. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Well, happy Thursday there, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. And thank you for joining us on, of course... Another fun-filled episode. I am, as always, your humble host, joining you live from our Stratus IP studios here in lovely eastern Indiana. Don't let cyber attacks or outdated business technology put your company at risk. Learn more at com forward slash Stratus IP. Well, yeah, folks, if you're new to The Brian Nichols Show. Maybe this is news to you. I don't know. But if you're a longtime listener, the idea that the corporate media is planting seeds of divisiveness and doubt amongst the American electorate and just the overall American populace by and large. Yeah, it's it's a no brainer. But let's go ahead and actually talk to somebody who's seen things behind the scenes. He knows what's been going on because he's experienced it firsthand. And that is one Tony Prezunas joining us here on The Brian Nichols Show. Tony, how are things going in your world?
1: Things are going great, Brian. Thanks for having me. Absolutely.
0: And rumor is you're not only joining us with some experience behind what actually takes place with the corporate media and all the uh, nasty things happening behind the scenes, but you're writing a book about it. And it's called Red, White and Blind. Uh, Let's talk about that. Obviously, you have some experience and I think it starts with a story at HuffPost uh, back in 2016. Start off there and kind of walk through your experience in the the world of corporate media and the uh, corruption and lies.
1: Sure, absolutely. Yeah, that is a a good place to start uh, the red, white and blind story. So 2016 um, Democratic primary, as you may recall, it was uh, on the Democratic side. It was between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. Um, And so I had written a bit independently about Bernie Sanders and somebody at Huffington Post uh, reached out to me. One of my pieces had gotten a lot of uh, distribution on social media and asked to publish it uh, at Huffington Post and to bring me on board to cover the primary from sort of that point forward. So I did that and it, it went well. I, was, I, I wrote uh, quite a bit. Um, and since I was one of the few journalists in you know, relatively mainstream media covering the Bernie Sanders side, a lot more of the uh, coverage was, was from the Hillary Clinton side. I did quite well with my pieces. A lot of them got 50,000 views, sometimes 100,000 views. Sometimes they'd make it to the, the front page of Huffington Post and be featured there. And things were going well. I was covering, I, you know, I covered um, all kinds of things, differences in fundraising, differences in the supporters, differences around uh, there's some irregularities in some of the uh, primary elections. I covered those um, and everything was going fine until the eve of the convention. And I wrote a piece um, just a few days before the convention. It was going to be a contested convention. Neither of them had reached enough uh, earned delegates to claim the nomination outright. And so it was going to be decided by the, quote unquote, superdelegates, the uh, these delegates at the convention who vote with the strength of 10,000 mere mortals. Um, So they were going to determine the nominee. And I wrote a piece basically saying it'd be much smarter to pick Bernie Sanders. Uh, Donald Trump had won the nomination on the Republican side a week before and head to head polling showed Bernie Sanders much stronger against Trump. And I focused on this issue of trust. And um, the trust metric was really divergent between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. There was a much higher trust uh, level of support uh, um, uh, for Bernie Sanders. And I said, particularly when this election goes to the independent voters who aren't really necessarily showing up on the Democratic side, this is going to swing the vote. And so I wrote this piece basically laying this out. And I had to get into some of the reasons people don't necessarily trust Hillary Clinton and For some reason, that piece, I published it in the evening. Uh, I looked, it was already at 10 or 12,000 views. I went to bed. I woke up the next morning, it was gone. Uh, The piece was just taken down. I was kicked off. I I would never again write for Huffington Post. It was over um, based on that single piece. And so it was a really interesting experience to be censored. I had had studied uh, media consolidation for a while on an independent uh, journal that I had written uh, in the early 2000s. But to experience censorship firsthand like that, the cold hand of censorship just so, uh, so obliquely placed upon me like that, it really was something else. And so that was the beginning of Red, White and Blind. I was really interested in that. And so I started writing the book. It actually took me a few years. I had uh, this, my son was born and I had to focus on some other things. But then in 2019, I started working on the book and I, I was really pouring myself into it when, you know, 2020 rolls around. And these things that I was researching, suddenly they were just playing out in real time. And so, you know, through 2020 and 2021, it was really interesting because I'd write a chapter and then I'd be like, oh, I got to go rewrite the chapter because now we know three more things about, you know, Twitter and, and shadow banning, or we know much more about the Hunter Biden laptop story or, you know, whatever it was. And so it was a really interesting experience. So, yeah, I mean, I'm proud to say it's it's now out. The book just came out last week. Uh, it's brand new, hot off the presses. I hope uh, anybody listening here We'll go find the book. Red, White, and Blind is the name of it. And uh, redwhiteandblind.com is the website. So yeah, it's been quite a journey. Yeah, lots to
0: unpack. And let's kind of rewind a little bit because I think from your personal perspective here, I'm curious to see what you've experienced because I've had conversations with folks over the past few years that the the, the proverbial bl- uh, veil has been lifted off their eyes, right? They were blind, but now they can see. And a lot of it was due to what happened with the COVID insanity And I've actually seen some folks who, I mean, they were maybe moderate or at least you know politically agnostic, and they've completely turned on on a head. Now they are very politically active, much more on the right side of camp. And I'm curious, you know, going from your being at the Huff Post, was was that something that you found your politics changing along the way?
1: Well, it's a great point. And I really do talk about this a bit in my book. And some of these conversations I've had with people, people really are feeling this strange political disorientation that I think has happened over the last two to three years. Yeah, I mean, I don't feel like my policies, my personal beliefs have changed. I'm a progressive at heart. I'm a classical liberal. And so I can't support the Democratic Party anymore. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, it's just we've gone in such a different direction. I mean, I was never much of a Democrat. I I was active in the Green Party in San Francisco. And then and I I, that was when I started writing. I I got a little deputy blogger position at the San Francisco Chronicle. And that's sort of where my writing started. Um, And then with Bernie Sanders. Yeah, obviously, I was supporting, you know, the progressive side of the Democratic Party. I was writing as you know, I was interested, but I was also a supporter. But yeah, I think it's been a really interesting time. And I I think, you know, when I'm covering in Red, White and Blind, when I write about, you know, the chapter when Biden and Jen Psaki are basically proposing this notion where if somebody spreads what they decide is is uh, misinformation or disinformation on one social media platform, not only should that social media platform take you down, but every other one should as well, based on what they decide is misinformation. I mean, that was... That was chilling at a level that I don't think I, I I'd never anticipated seeing that. Um, and I was never a supporter of Biden, but to see that really in, you know, sort of the writing on the wall uh, was really intense. And, and I reserve in the book and also, you know, personally in my conversations, I reserve my harshest language for censorship. It's, um, it's something that we can't actually survive as a civilization, as Western civilization. Like we're, we're built, you know, the building blocks of, of what we're doing here is democracy and science, and you can't really have either one. If you are allowing censorship, if you're allowing some centralized power to decide what can be said, what can't be said. Well, it makes it
0: impossible for us to have a conversation.
1: And I think that we could not have this conversation now. If somebody decided, you know, Tony and and Brian are going to say something we don't like, uh, you know, that's the end of it. So. So, yeah.
0: Well, and let's talk about because there's uh, something you mentioned where media would basically be presenting completely different versions of the same story. And I would like to see, me. do you have some examples of that
1: where we could be like, oh, that makes sense? Sure. And I'd love to read a little passage from the book here yeah, in a minute. Um, please do. Um, and I really do that because I, I I want, I don't want red, white, and blind. When I was writing this book, as I said, I came, I come from sort of the progressive left. But mm-hmm. as I was writing the book, I actually found myself shifting because I was finding more, actually more censorship and more, like when I was reading Zach For his book, The Google Leaks, and I was studying the Twitter, you know, the early stuff from on Twitter. Now we have the Twitter files, which has, you know, brought it to a whole new level. I, I was shifting my views and I was seeing more of that going against the right. So I wrote the book really because I really not to be the Democrat or the Republican criticism of, of the media, but really to be a nonpartisan look at the media. And, and the idea of Red, White, and Blind is that we're all in this place of deception. We're all deceived to some extent by the corporate media and by the deliberate manipulation of the news narratives. That it, it, it affects us all, and it's very sophisticated. We can't sit here and say, I, I'm, I'm Tony Brasunis. I'm a smart guy. I've been writing about this. It doesn't affect me. No, it affects us all. It's very sophisticated. It's been going on for 100 years since the, the beginning of propaganda with uh, Edward Bernays in the 1920s and things like that. So it's been going on a long, long time. So so yeah, I mean, I, I my experiences have been... Uh, Led me to write this book in a way that's nonpartisan, and so I start the book with Jeffrey Epstein, and we can get into Mm. that here. It'll be a passage I'll read, and then I talk about the the coronavirus and the origin of the coronavirus. I think these issues are nonpartisan at this point. Like, why were these issues censored? Why why were we not allowed to know about Jeffrey Epstein for twenty years? or, Or Ask about where the coronavirus came from for two years. When it would have been really, really helpful to know that, <laughs> it would have been very, very helpful to have known that it had come out of a lab. We know now with probably ninety-seven percent certainty it came out of the lab. So, um, so yeah, those are issues that are that are uh, really, um, I think, demonstrative of what's going on with the media—that it's not a partisan issue. There are some issues that are partisan, you know. And I talk a little bit about some of the stuff that I, I, I found leading into the twenty twenty election with the censorship of. Uh, the Hunter Biden laptop story and the censorship around um, or the propaganda around the bounties that supposedly Russians were paying to Afghanistan and, and you know all that stuff. And it turned out that story was completely made up and was basically just uh, meant to disparage uh, the candidacy of Donald Trump. And so that was very interesting to uncover some of that. So um, you asked for specific examples. Do you want me to, to pull out a few examples Talk from the roll. book or something? Let's do it. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, the Russian bounties, that one's, that one's great. I think it's, it's almost been swept under the rug at this point because there was January 6th and all these other things that have happened. But it was a really interesting story. It was, it was just leading into the 2020 election. And there was this story in the New York Times, unsourced intelligence agents, you know, basically said that we have reason to believe, you know, there's no proof, there's no evidence that, um, you know, Russia and Vladimir Putin has paid all this money to, uh, the Afghan, you know, the Afghan Taliban resistance to basically kill Americans. And that because and there was it was sort of just laying it at the feet of Donald Trump and saying, because Trump has been too soft on Russia, for which there was very little evidence because Trump actually was, you know, had had some uh, policies about Russia and Europe that were pretty strong. Um, but that that because of that, that that's why Americans were dying. And there are all these cases of like supposedly Afghanis launching these Russian weapons, killing Americans And and then, you know, it's really interesting because the New York Times would put it out and then uh, the Washington Post would write a similar story the next day. And then the rest of the corporate media newspapers would write the same story a day later, two days later. And so not only is that and then it turned out to be totally false. It was there was no evidence of that. Russia hadn't sold weapons to Afghanistan. And and the whole story was kind of ridiculous because Afghani like they don't need any extra reason to want to get Americans out of their country. I mean, it's like we're, the American military is an invader in their country. Those people would want the Americans to get out. They don't need Russian to tell them, hey, like. <laughs> You know, shoot those Americans like no. Imagine if you had a foreign force, you know, like down the street from you and they were, you know, taking over your town. And, you know, if you were, you know, a reasonable person, you'd want to get them out of your country because they're, you know, not don't belong here. So. It was a ridiculous story, but it was demonstrative also of something I talk about in the book, which is um, nefarious bias. I decipher in the book three different types of bias because everybody's biased. You know, I'm biased, you're biased. We all have bias.
0: And now a word from our sponsors. In the world of wine, there are so many choices. And that's why Blood of Tyrants Wine has tyrants losing their heads. Whether you're looking for a new go-to at home or want to impress your friends at a party, Blood of Tyrants Wine has you covered. And if you're trying to get rid of some pesky tyrants, in your life? Well, we've got that covered too. Head to BrianNicholsShow.com forward slash wine and get $5 off your order. One more time, BrianNicholsShow.com forward slash wine. Free men don't
1: ask permission, so take a sip. You'll be glad you did. So there's innocent bias, innocent that there's innocent bias, systemic bias, and nefarious bias. And it's, it's worth it, I think, to take a minute to, to understand these. So innocent bias is the bias we all have based on who we are, like where we grew up, like what our parents were like, our race, our class, our gender, national origin, you know, all of those kinds of things around our identity, those bring us bias. That's just the way it is. Then there's systemic bias. And that's the bias that comes from wherever you work. Like if somebody's paying you a paycheck to do what you're saying, you're going to be biased to continue to get that paycheck. You know, if you work at some large organization or some huge mega you know, media conglomerate, you're going to be biased to say the things that will get you promoted and not get you fired, you know, so not run against those advertisers and things like that. So systemic bias is the bias that comes from where you work as a journalist. And then the final one is nefarious bias. And nefarious bias is deliberate, deceptive, uh, manipulation of the narrative by covert forces like intelligence agencies. So there's innocent bias which we all have can't really avoid that but we can balance our diet about it (laughs) there's systemic bias which we get a lot the bigger the corporation is that's distributing the news the more systemic bias there is and the nefarious bias which is sometimes the hardest to pin down but i go in red white and blind i go through some ways to recognize it and one of them is this so in that story about the taliban the supposed um bounties paid to the afghans uh in the lead up to the 2020 election you saw a number of reasons to believe there was nefarious bias. So first of all, it's unnamed intelligence sources are the reason for the story. So that's almost a dead giveaway that there's some ulterior motive um, and it's not the real story. The other thing that I go into is um, Operation Mockingbird, which went on for, you know, from the fifties through the seventies, and it's now declassified. It's, you know, it was fully brought out in the church committee in the 1970s. And that was, you know, the CIA and other intelligence agencies directly recruiting journalists, recruiting um, or placing agents at newspapers and disseminating news narratives and news stories throughout the media. And when George H.W. Bush took over the CIA in the late 70s or I think right around 1980, I think it was late 70s, he said, oh, we're not going to do this anymore and put out a memo saying, yeah, we're not doing this anymore. But even built into the memo, I put the memo in the book, there's all these loopholes. You know, there's like, we're, well, we're not going to do any more of this paid work with journalists, but we, we welcome unpaid help, you know. So there's like just so many loopholes that there's no doubt it continues to go on. And then in, I, I go through another you know, dozen examples of why we know that that's still happening. And so that, that story of the, um, the bounties paid to, Afgh- to the Afghans, the, which is a false story, absolutely is nefarious bias. It's evidence of nefarious bias of intelligence sources placing this story. And the reason they called it Operation Mockingbird is another interesting thing to understand because Operation Mockingbird, the idea is, you know, mockingbirds in the forest, one will call out a a tune and the other ones will repeat the tune and then more will repeat it and repeat it. So you have this song sort of going on throughout the forest. So you see the story placed in the New York Times. And then the next day the Washington Post hears the song and repeats it. And then the other corporate journalists, right, hear it and they repeat it. And this Mockingbird model is very useful and helpful because it reduces the need for this sort of back channel collaboration. So you don't have to have some like, you know, back channel Twitter or like email or something (laughs) where it's like, hey, I'm going to write this story on Monday. You write it on Tuesday. No, the news article itself is, is is the beacon. The other thing is that it's Um, it works really well in in terms of how the human brain works Where when we hear thing, hear something once, it's kind of like, oh yeah, that's an interesting story, but probably not true. But if you hear it over and over again and again from different sources, the human brain, it just sort of works that way. It just sort of starts to incorporate that like, oh, I guess we should all wear masks or something. Cause I've heard it from these different sides or like, oh, you know, whatever the narrative is, oh, I guess uh, Iraq does have weapons of mass destruction you know, because you've heard it from enough different sources and somebody here said it and there and it's on the radio. So that's Operation Mockingbird. And that's, and that's a good example of it, I think, um, where you can, you can use part of red, white, and blind is I'm trying to teach you the tools. I, you know, it's like teach a man to fish. I, I can show you some of the examples, but it'd be much more helpful if by looking at these examples, you realize now how you can disseminate, you can decipher and you can notice, um, the nefarious, nefarious bias and the types of, uh, Uh, narrative manipulation in the news
0: Mm. well and i guess as we kind of go towards the tail end of the episode that goes into the the significance of us being able to address this right and i think there's there's a lot of different facets that we have to focus on in order to have success what we're doing today having these conversations is is super important but also being able to go out and to your point identify this for when we see it and and to call it out right i think that it's almost indicative on us to do that. Otherwise, to your point, there are so many other people out there that they will hear this. They will start to believe as truth because it's been repeated so many times. So I guess to your expert recommendation, right, appeal to the authority, what would you say are some recommendations you see as like tangible things we can do right now to improve our, our discourse?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the main thing I propose is a balanced media diet. Mm. Um and I, I have a whole chapter about that. And I have a website I'm building called BalancedMediaDiet.com. So in addition to RedWhiteAndBlind.com, if you go to BalancedMediaDiet.com, I'm setting that up to be a. So right now there's there's the diet I recommend. I've reviewed hundreds of sources and I put together a diet where you can either spend 30 minutes a day, or 60 minutes a day, or 120 minutes a day if you want to really go in there. But you know, for 30 minutes a day, there's about 13 sources I recommend, and you do two different sources each day of the week. Um, but then eventually I want people to be able to customize their own media diet and balance it and everything like that. What I really talk about in the book, what I really try to get to the first two thirds of the book is basically, here's how bad the problem is. So I do, I talk about January 6th and I talk about the COVID stuff. I talk about Epstein. I talk about all the different ways. And then I talk about social media and like fact checkers that don't check facts and AstroTurf independent media that pretends to be independent, but it isn't. But then the second the last third of the book i really want to give people a positive spin because i'm actually very optimistic i see that we're actually moving into a new enlightenment a time in which like the original enlightenment where where the top down distribution of information is starting to crumble away and we're beginning to have more conversations like this and it's already been going on for 10 years i think a, a big part of the last 10 years has been this like screaming about disinformation when really the screaming is about other information <laughs> you know that's not coming from the mainstream media and that's going to continue. And that's the new enlightenment. So as part of that, what I really recommend people develop is what I call media consciousness. And it's not this like crazy state we have to get into. It's just the idea that when you hear a news report, or you hear a news source, you don't just listen to what it's saying. You think about who's saying it and why they're saying it and what they want you to feel, what they want you to think about and what they want you not to think about. That kind of media consciousness We'll develop our own mind to be able to decipher the different types of bias, because ultimately we do need to know what's going on in the world. We can't just opt out like these narratives are—they're affecting our life. You can pretend, oh, I don't want to—I don't—I just unplug the news. Well, you're still going to get it from your friends. You're still going to get it from your family. So, media consciousness and a balanced media diet. um, And I think we're moving into a better world where we're going to be able to have like this conversation we're having now. These conversations are happening more and more and more all over the world. And, um, I think it's a time of, we're moving into a time of apocalypse in the, in the good sense of the word where there's an unveiling, Yep. you know, the apocalypse is an unveiling of things. We're learning about things. We're learning about, you know, Jeffrey Epstein. We're learning about the Twitter files, you know, each, I think each couple, each couple of months, there's gonna be more of this stuff coming out. And, um, I had an early reader of my book, uh, and she, she was one of my beta readers before it came out and she emailed me and she's like, you know, when the twitter files came out a lot of people were really stunned She's like but i read your book and so like i didn't i wasn't surprised at all you kind of laid out all the reasons this was already going on and it's true i almost feel like my book predicted that because i went into what was going on at twitter and facebook right. and google and you look at that and it's like it's not that it wasn't that hard to guess um that all that stuff was going on although actually some of the stuff that's come out in the twitter files is worse than than even i would have guessed well that's scary geez uh well
0: how about this as we go towards uh final thoughts for today i'll start things off i think this speaks to why we do what we do here at the brian Nichols show and we take we take things a little bit differently here in terms of we approach things through the lens of sales and marketing and how do we help set narratives right but to your point have to acknowledge that there are other people out there who are in fact setting narratives on their own and Again, to your point, unfortunately, some of those folks are in fact nefarious actors. So it's important and incumbent on us to go out and be the ones trying to help wake people up, set new narratives, and hopefully start new conversations. That's my final thought for the, uh, the day. Tony, what do you have for us for uh, your final thoughts? We wrap things up.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree with all of that media consciousness. Be aware of what narratives you're, um, being fed. And then realize that by balancing your media diet, you can see all of the different sides of things. And what that ultimately does, and this is useful for business or for sales or for just getting through the world and making the big decisions we make in our lives about what we're going to do with life is the ability to then com- connect with people. Because right now the media is polarized. There's this deliberate attempt to divide people into their different camps, you know, but by, by balancing our media diet, by developing media consciousness, by understanding the narratives, We can connect with people. We can again talk to our sister or wife or, you know, uncle or whoever it is that like we've lost touch with because of some kind of disagreement about the news. We can reconnect with them. And that's how we can make a better world to connect, to connect with each other once again. And I think free speech is one of the most important parts of that.
0: All right. Well, the book is Red, White, and Blind. Tony, where can folks go ahead and uh, go grab a copy if they want to grab one themselves, but also go ahead and stay in touch with you to continue the conversation?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I mentioned redwhiteandblind.com. That's that's the website. You can find everything about the book. I'm at tonybersunas.com if you want to learn more about me. Uh, to- everything is at com. I'm also on Twitter, Tony Brasunis, um, Facebook as well. And there's a YouTube channel that I'm building as well. It's it's kind of brand new, but I, I should have that up and going in the next uh next couple of weeks here. So yeah, awesome. white and blend.com, find the book. I'd love to uh connect with you there.
0: Great stuff. Well, and we'll make it easy for the 99% of folks who are joining us over on the podcast version, and that is we'll include all this in the show notes, right? So all you gotta do, go to your favorite podcast catcher, click the artwork, it'll bring you over to Brianagleshow.com where you can find everything that Tony has mentioned, the link to the book, his bio. Plus, you'll find an entire transcript of today's episode. And oh, by the way, we have a video version of the show. In case you did not know that, join us on YouTube, Rumble, and on Odyssey. All three versions can be found over at BrianNicholsShow.com. Wherever it is that you like to consume your video content, all I ask you do me a favor: hit that little notification bell and that subscribe button so you don't miss a single time we go live. And oh, by the way, we have a brand new ebook that's out, and it's for uh, anybody who's interested in running for local office, or if you're running for local office already and just trying to figure out what the heck do i have to do from starting out to building your campaign voter outreach messaging and more all that in our brand new ebook how to win your local election available at briannicholshow.com forward slash win local link in the show notes that's all we have for you find me at uh, on social media that is at b nichols liberty twitter facebook minds.com and pretty much anywhere else you have social media want well, to get in touch with me email me brian at brian show.com and if you enjoyed the show go ahead and give us a five star rating and review otherwise tony any final thoughts for us as we wrap things up i know be the big final thoughts but
1: any uh, last words i guess I will have to do the reading next time. I'll, I'll come back on the show and we'll do the reading of the book because uh, time just flew. It was a great conversation. I really appreciate it, Brian. Rock and roll.
0: All right. Well, I guess this is a, a to be continued. So, with that being said, Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show. We'll see you tomorrow.
1: Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com
0: Forget to tell your friends to subscribe too. Follow me on social media at nichols Liberty. And again, if you'd be so kind, please
1: consider making a donation to the Brian nichols Show at Brianicholshow.com forward slash support.